For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance for us. And God certainly did that for us. He prepared in advance a work for us. And I'd invite my wife, Anne, and my son Trent to join me up here. Psalm 9.1 says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. And that's part of what we want to do today is just share the wonderful deeds that God did in, a, in us and through us as we were able to minister in Nigeria, Africa. So uh, if you'll go ahead and start the slides, or we'll start the slides, I guess. <laughs> First one says, Sanu, that's a greeting in Hausa. Um, one of the frequent questions I get was, um, did you speak the language? Well, I did, because it was English. Um, but we did get an opportunity to go to four weeks of Hausa class. That was um, the language that was um, most spoken in our area as far as the tribal language. And so we learned a little bit, the greetings and things. But um, So Sanu is the greeting there from Nigeria. Uh, our trip, we started out at the end of January. We left, and um, we, it took over 24 hours to get to Africa. One of our uh, layovers was in London. We have 12 hours there. And so we made an opportunity to get out of the airport and go see some of the most prominent sites there. Um, we met up with actually a personal tour guide. Yeah, it was really neat that uh, Tom Pfeiffer, that's brother, Tom Pfeiffer attends here, his brother, uh, was in London at the time, and uh, he said, hey, let's get together, and he took us around to see all those famous sites, so we didn't have to worry about figuring out where to go or what to do, so now we had just flown all night long, and so we were a little bit not able to, to be very coherent, so it was very good to have a guide to show us where to go, and then get back to the airport in time to make our next flight. Yes. But he did make sure that while we were in London, we saw um, all of, like I said, the prominent sites. Um, after our layover in London, we got back on the airplane and we landed in Abuja, which is at the travel of Nigeria. Uh, once we landed in Nigeria, in Abuja, we had to travel five and a half hours um, down very dirty, bumpy roads to get to our actual home, which it was on an SIM compound. Um, SIM is the mission organization that we were invited to come over and work with. Um, they also are, uh, that's who Tom and Heidi are. Uh, missionaries for them work for. And so SIM has several compounds that they have available for their people to live on. And it is um, very secure. It's a gated community with guards. Um, and so we were so grateful to have this housing provided by them. I mean, it looks like our basic American house, other than our walls and our floors were all cement. But we did have living room, um, dining area. We had a kitchen. Our laundry room had a washing machine in it. Um, we had three bedrooms and actually two bathrooms in there, and so it was quite, um, you know, comfortable for being there. Uh, one of the things that you might see that appears very different from what we have here is the electrical system. As you can see, the wires are very much exposed uh, in many places, and what happens in the electric is so unstable. Uh, actually, there was not a single day that we had power for the whole day. It was just hours at a time and a day, but when the power came in, it might come in at 100 volts. It might come in at 500 volts. And uh, they had to have these stabilizers 
uh, so that it wouldn't burn up all your refrigerators and other equipment in the house. And uh, so there's a couple stabilizers there and the wires come across. And then if the power's out for an extended period of time or for a reason you needed to, we had a generator that we could turn on. And when you turn on the gen, then you got to come over here and go through a whole process of flipping switches and doing things. So it was an education just to learn how to run the electric in the house, but it worked great. <laughs> One of the other blessings being there on the SIM compound was um, we had the availability to have some wonderful house help. Um, It might sound like a luxury, but really it's not. Um, For missionaries to be able to be free to have the time to go do what they need to do in ministry, um, it's very important to have ladies or gentlemen that help you. And so the taller lady, Nigerian lady, was the lady who did our cleaning. Um, she could scrub cement sparklier than I can even do my own, uh, you know, floors and bathrooms. Um, she also did our laundry, as you noticed, and we said we didn't have electricity for a whole 24 hours. So that electric washing machine was only as good as the electric was. So she would oftentimes have to wash um, clothes by hand, hang them out, and then she would even have to go through the tedious task of ironing um, just to be able to kill parasites or things that might land on your clothes and so outside. So um, house chores are a pretty much an all-day process, and so we were very grateful. The sh- uh, shorter Nigerian lady was a cook, and again, there was so much pa- background preparation and cooking from scratch. I learned that you can make noodles from flour and stuff. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah. So I'm very grateful I had a cook, um, especially one that could cook white people food. So that was good. Um, we ate a lot of pizza. Uh, the other, the other very important man, uh, on the right is our driver. SIM provided a driver for us to get for Trent and I and um, some of the other missionaries to get to our areas of service. And this was very important. Um, If you've seen the previous slides about how horrific the traffic is, um, these Nigerian drivers know how to work through that traffic. The other great blessing of of having a driver was he was very attuned to everything going on. And so we really um, appreciated. He kept us safe. If there was anything that seemed off, um, he would say, we're turning around. We're going back. And so um, Jimmy was a wonderful friend. He was fun and exciting to, to be with each day as he drove us places. But also I appreciate his guidance and his safety. Um, this is the outside of our home. We lived as a part of a duplex. So there was another family on the other side with the same kind of layout to our house. Um, and I really liked how Sim had this compound laid out. The houses were around the outer circle, and then right in the center was a cement pad with um, basketball goals. And so as the kids went out and played, they were all kind of right out there in the center, so you could keep easily keep track of where they were. Um, one, of our other, uh, one of our other responsibilities while we were there, and this ended up being a very large responsibility for us, was um, just to the left of our house was a ministry center called the Niger Creek Ministry Center. It could sleep up to 26 people. It had a large meeting room as well as two kitchens and its own staff. And Everett and I were in the task of overseeing the staff, the booking of the place. Everett took care of the finances for it, um, as well as we would help even facilitate some, some events or just the general oversight and maintenance. And it became a very large piece of what we did there. But I tell you, it also became one of the best pieces. Um, This staff that we worked with was amazing. 
the lady to the, um, I guess as you're looking at it, to the right of me in the white, her name is Hanatu, and she is the head cook there and really the overseer. Um, I joked her that I'm just a token head and then had to explain what that was, but um, she really made things happen while we were there. And, and these people were always so friendly and um, just so happy to, uh, to interact with every day. The lady to the left of me was um, Charity, and she did the cleaning. And then the, the young man, Godwin, he was a jack-of-all-trades. He did mostly the shopping for the ministry center, but he would also do some of the cooking. He would do some of the maintenance. And as you can see, he and Everett got along quite well. Godwin was invaluable to me uh, in many areas. Uh, we talk about him going shopping. It's a cash society. There's no credit cards or things, and pretty much you just buy so much for a shorter period of time, and you have to constantly be going to the market for, for things. So that was a big part of his job as well as general maintenance. There was a lot of wahala. Wahala means problems. And uh, the electric would have problems. Uh, we had uh, lightning strikes, which would take out the gen and many other problems. Um, the water piping runs around the outside and it's not very deep and it would get run over by a car or something and break. And then we had water spouting everywhere and that had to be fixed and just the general care. So I learned a lot about who to call for what things. And he was the guy that would help me a lot in getting some of those things solved. So I certainly appreciated him. Uh, we had to fix things even like Rats in the kitchen. So I really needed his help. <laughs> the next slide is just some of Trent's favorite things, and I was going to let him go ahead and tell you about them. On the top right, you see those are my friends on the compound. On the bottom right, those are my friends at church. On the bottom left, that you can see me collecting bottle caps. I collected over 550 bottle caps, and I brought them all home. <laughs> Yes, so I'm not sure what we're going to do with 550 bottle caps, but it was a really cool experience since he had not seen those before. Um, some of the ministries that I was involved in, um, one of my primary ones was at a elementary school called Cornerstone Academy. This school was built to be able to teach orphans in their primary level orphanage called Giro. And um, I worked with this lady... To the right there, Ruth, she was from Northern Ireland and her husband was from Scotland. And it was just such a really neat blessing to um, not only work with this lady, but we became really good friends with their family. And so that was a really good connection that God had given us there. Um, In their school, I got to do a lot of things in the school, but also for three months, any part of my free time, I used writing math tests and quizzes. Um, for their level three curriculum. And so that took three months of my time being there. And they're going to be using that in this upcoming fall. One of the highlights that I really enjoyed was teacher training. Bi-weekly, we would go and do teacher understanding. We would teach them, um, some, some of it was just teaching the skills to them so that they had a better understanding and then they could teach the skills more effectively to their young people. Uh, we also learned, a, taught them a lot about hands-on learning and creating more fun. Um, this is really a culture where it's very lecture-based. It's shame and honor. Um, if you didn't get it, they will make you stand up and shame you for it. And so we were trying to really um, have these teachers try to minister to the orphans differently by teaching them about positive reinforcement, hands-on learning, and just putting a little more fun into the, the process of learning. And so that was one of my highlights 
The other thing I got to do, um, Ruth had the suggestion that I teach volleyball to the fourth and fifth graders. Volleyball, of course, is a game I love. And, um, but I've never done it at noon in the Nigerian heat. So I think she really had a secret ploy to maybe have me have a sunstroke. So I had to have one of the younger missionary girls, Brianna is up there on the right. She came out and she willingly helped me as I instructed um, to go ahead and demonstrate. I also had the help of a Nigerian man. His, his back is to you there. His name is Dan. And um, so that, again, was really fun to do volleyball in a completely different scenario. My second main point place of ministry is this home. It's a girls' transition home. Once they get out of Giro Orphanage and this Cornerstone Academy, they move into boy home and girl homes. And so this is the girl home, and it is in a place called Basa. And it was really exciting because these girls were only renting a home the last time we were there, and we took our team the previous January. And so uh, returning this January was really neat to see that God had provided for them this beautiful new home that had been built. And now there's over 45, almost 50 girls in this home um, because of this new building. The neat thing was I got to go weekly and work really with that top group of girls. They um, were not educated enough to go on to the government school, and so they spent a lot of their time in the home. And so it was a real joy for them to come and have real special attention. The red-haired young lady is another short-term missionary girl named Kate, and her and I would go weekly, and we would teach them things like computer keyboarding, Bible skills, life skills, um, even a little drawing and sewing. So it was a really fun time to really connect, especially with that group of girls. Um, one of the other things that God privileged me to work with was this weekend retreat. Over Easter weekend, um, there was a four-day retreat that they had. Um, over the girls' transition house is the lady in the middle. Her name is Nikki. She's from the U.K. And then on to the right of her, the Nigerian young lady, is her assistant, Francisca. And the girl, this weekend became a great time of bonding with those missionary ladies as well as with the girls. Uh, it was a four-day weekend, and so we got to do eight sessions on biblical womanhood, um, which was very impactful for their society where women are not valued very highly, um, for them to truly see how God created them to be and their roles as women. Um, and it was a time to speak to about 50 plus middle school to adult-aged um, people. One of the last things I got involved in right before I left is this same group at BASA were beginning to, to build a vocational center right there on their property where they had just built their new house. And um, Nikki was realizing that their girls were not getting a very good education in their government schools. They were also reaping some ridicule, actually, for not cheating. And um, they, because they were standing out and not doing the wrong things, they were being beat. And so they decided, look, we need to do more than just a vocational center. Let's build this building that we've already began into a secondary school as well as a vocational center. And so it was really neat. I got to be in on some of the foundational planning of that, um, scheduling, how many teachers, what kind of courses, how did the courses um, fit to their Nigerian um, national standards, um, but one of the things that I want to bring up to you is this is project they had not really planned for. So they don't have all the finances. And I wanted to be able to present this project to you um, just because it Lord may lay it on your heart to support this somehow. I have a 
complete list of the estimated costs for setting up the secondary school, and I have it back out there at our table if you were interested in looking at it. Um, any donation would help towards their, their getting this work done, but it is broken down. If you wanted to sponsor things like tables or security guards or teachers or whatever you wanted to sponsor in particular, um, I have that information. The other thing I came home with was sponsor cards for the young ladies themselves. A lot of these ladies have very tragic stories and reasons why they ended up at the Bossa Girls Transition Home. And so their little bit of their background and their story is there. And then they're asking if you are willing and you can to sponsor a girl for $50 a month. That's a suggestion. So if that's too much for you and you can just do a little bit, um, you know, whatever you could do to help sponsor a girl. I have 14 of these cards in the back as well. Um, so... It was even encouraging that uh, Nikki thought maybe if you're a teacher in a school here and you wanted your class to sponsor some part of this program and keep in communication, there's ways to write and stay in contact with these young ladies and see the work and the progress that's being done on this school. The other thing I just want to say is back there on our table is as we're getting kind of an overview letter of all that we had done during our time there. So as much as we're giving you information here, here's a little bit more information written down. So those three things are at our table in the back. Um, the next slide is kind of an informal ministry that God gave us, um, and it benefited us as much as it benefited these young people. These are called the STA, short-term associates. And by God's divine providence, there was a lot of them there while we were there. And so we had just started inviting them over on Sundays to play games and eat dinner. And we found that actually this ended up becoming just such a good point of relaxation for us, laughter, rest. It provided support and strength for us to keep moving in our ministries and discuss the hard things. And so really this became as much a blessing to us as it did them. Yeah, we worked a lot with the STAs, as we would call them, and uh, a great a great deal of ministry, uh, just being able to talk about their days, the problems, and have a place to do that, uh, try to give some counsel in those areas, but also just a safe place to have fun, uh, kind of back home type of things that we would be used to. Uh, many of them were girls, there was a couple of guys, um, and left in June to come home because of the grandbabies being born, which we have two new grandbabies and another still on the way. Uh, so she and able to come home for that, and she came right after we celebrated our 32nd anniversary in, in Nigeria. But that meant Father's Day was right after that. So I wasn't with any of my family for Father's Days, and these girls all came over and cooked dinner, and they all wrote me uh, Father's Day cards. They called, uh, called me their African father. <laughs> And I called them my African daughters. So uh, it was a neat bond. In the bottom uh, left side, the tall gentleman with the beard, that's Fabi. He's a German. We had people from Canada, from Germany, all over the place. And uh, I became his mentor. And we would meet uh, regularly and discuss. He has a great heart for evangelism and reaching out to boys. Had lots of opportunities. But he was such an encouragement to me as well, even though I was his mentor and, and helping me process some of the things I was saying and what was going on. So it was a special relationship to have. Thank you. It's this one, right? Yep. Yeah, I need to educated. Do the next one, yeah. 
Um, these are the STAs. We did get a fun day uh, that we traveled to Yankari Park, and you can see in the top right, that's Heidi. She got to go with us. Tom was away uh, on some meetings, so he couldn't go, and many of the STAs, and we took a safari through there to see some animals, and to be honest, there wasn't very many <laughs> animals there, and there was no hippos, so I was very happy about that. Um, the fun pictures that you've seen here are greatly exaggerated about me. Uh, but one of the fun things was the warm springs. It was an incredibly beautiful uh, layout. The, the water itself was warm and clean. And one of the young ladies from Canada, one of the STAs, Adriana, wanted to be baptized. And she asked me if I would baptize her. So we made that arrangement. And while we were all together in the water, she gave her testimony, wonderful testimony. And I had the privilege of being able to baptize her there. And that was certainly a very special memory to have. This is SIM uh, headquarters. Um, I was blessed to have a vehicle uh, that the missionary, the house that we were living in, the missionary was on furlough. He's the one I was filling in for. Uh, Tom is the Nigerian director for SIM for the whole uh, area of Nigeria. And my particular area then was the deputy director. Um, and part of that was to release Tom from a lot of responsibility so he could concentrate on some other things. And, uh, and I would get to drive downtown every day in that fun traffic. And, uh, and we were so thankful that I drove in the demolition derby last year <laughs> that prepared me to drive in Nigeria. That's my office on the bottom right. This is the staff that I had to work with. Uh, there was 12 Nigerians that were on staff that worked under me, and uh, they had different areas of ministry that I got to work close with. And then Tom and Heidi in the picture. And then uh, Heidi works a lot in personnel with all the missionaries in the state, as well as uh, any kind of medical conditions or issues that might come up. So she's quite busy as well. Um, outside of uh, the door that you saw there, they were adding a new building. Equa, E-C-W-A, is Evangelical Church Winning All. It is a church that SIM planted many years ago when they first started. And it has grown into like the biggest church across all of Nigeria. And what has happened is a few years ago, uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, the Nigerian government was kicking out the missionaries if they weren't nationals if they weren't associated. So Sim released Equa from under them and they became the national church and they then invited Sim to come in as missionaries so Sim could stay in Nigeria. So it's kind of a partner ministry, although uh, we planted them or Sim planted them. But during the construction, it was just amazing. Everything is done by hand. Uh, the mixing by hand and then the ladies would put five-gallon buckets of concrete on their head and walk up the ramp and over to where it needed to be poured while the guy waited for the lady to come and pour it down. It was interesting to see how they would build things. Uh, but lots of labor. One of the great joys that I had was working through our country's projects uh, department is where like when funds are given to, from the United States or other countries to a particular project, then we've got these funds that need to be used in these areas and we would have to determine if a certain area fits the giving to make sure it was in the parameters. And IDP camps are internally displaced people. They are mostly Christians who have been persecuted with the Muslims coming in and attacking their villages, burning their homes, and then they have nowhere to go. And they then end up in these IDP camps, 
as a transition. They're intended to be a shorter term transition, and they have very little supplies. And we were able to bring beans and rice and even some bedding uh, to them. So there was a lot of different IDP camps, and here's a village that was attacked uh, that I went out to um, when it was safe. And you can see the, some of the devastation of what's left, which isn't much. Uh, everything was torn down or burned um, and, and quite devastated. But the people there were starting to come back to this village, and that's why we went there. And it was really great to be able to meet with them. Down in the bottom left is uh, those who have returned to this particular village, and they're starting to rebuild. In the top, you can see laying the foundation for a new house. To the right is a little hut that's already been built. And although they've gone through massive devastation, their attitudes are just wonderful and trusting in the Lord, even the depth that they have. And, and just getting to hear their stories and what they went through and where they're at now. One guy even pulled his pant leg up and showed me most of his calf was missing from where the bullet had, had hit his leg when he was trying to run away. And it's just, you know, when you see this stuff up close, it's amazing to think. And that was because they were Christians. Um, they're also, with the displaced people, there ends up being a lot of orphans. Either their parents got killed in the attack, or maybe only one parent, and the other parent has to go work somewhere to, to support the family, or has to go away further to try to get new living conditions, and these kids are left uh, out there. So SIM has an orphanage camp for, for the IDPs, and you can see the living conditions on the bottom left. All the beds are just kind of in this one big room, and, and they sleep in. At the top left is the makeshift showers and bathroom, um, boys and girls uh, bathroom, and then they have the schooling and teachers coming in to help with the education. But if you can see, with a few of them taking their picture with me, they're big smiles. They're happy. They're in a safe place. Although things are a little bit rough there, um, it's a far better thing, and it's encouraging to see what's happening uh, that way as well. Uh, and Miango, Miango is not very far outside of Joss. It's about 10, 15 minutes away, and SIM is very uh, focused in Miango because there is what's called the Miango Rest Home, and kind of a gated area that's where people will come and have meetings and a getaway weekend. Uh, there's lodging and great food and everything really nice inside of this, but in the communities around, there's a bunch of little villages around, and they have been just constantly being attacked um, and having a lot of issues, so... One of the things that uh, we were able to do was one of the areas that were attacked, again, bring in food. But the great thing about SIM is they're very organized in the distribution because I've seen a lot of it, which was very chaotic, and some people get food and some people don't because of the way that it's done. And all the people that were identified for this particular place was brought into this church, registered, and then they would be released systematically to be able to go get their food. So it was very well organized uh, to make sure that everybody got part of it. Uh, I wanted to include this picture of the church down here. Uh, as we were helping these people, uh, the pastor of that church was killed in the last attack, along with his wife. And they have seven young children, 10 and under. And the community have taken in those kids, caring for them so they don't have to go to an orphanage or go somewhere. And it's just that great sense of community and, and the love that they have towards one another. Went to another IDP camp just recently. Uh, these camps were less than 30 days old. There was a huge attack just so then Goss, over 2,000 Christians killed, over 10,000 displaced. And so then we had this massive flood. And so there was these IDP camps quickly put together. And one of my jobs was to go to these different IDP camps and assess 
where things are at, what are the needs, do they have water, what are the sleeping conditions, what are the food, so we could evaluate how to go help. So this was on the, the trip to just go out and evaluate things. You can kind of see me in the back with my hand up there. Uh, wearing the same shirt I have on today. But there was actually like four people, five people we were talking to there. We said, oh, let's get a picture. We pulled out the camera and whoo. Everybody come running to get in the picture, and it grew, and I just thought that was just so great. They, I don't know where they all came from, but they were all there. And there's, there's like, in this camp alone, over 3,000 people, and there's many of these little camps around. And then on the bottom left, there's a, a place that some of them could sleep, and they just throw these foam uh, mats down so that they have something other than the floor to sleep on. Not all of them have foam mats, so that's a blessing to have that. And a nice dry place, because it was certainly the rainy season at that point, and uh, being outside would be an issue. But one of the great joys of dealing with all these IDP camps was the ability that we had to talk with them, find out about some of their relatives or other people that they had and that might be in towns and cities, villages, pretty far away. They, and then we were able to contact people that were in those villages, make a connection, and see if they could go live there with these family members. So if they would say yes or that there was a place in their village that they could go, then we would pack up all of their stuff in a van and pay to transport them and their materials to a new village where they had a, a place to live till they could re- start rebuilding their life. Um, and you know, so working to get them out of the IDP camps was a great joy, and there was probably somewhere between 75 upwards pushing 100 families that I was fortunate enough to directly be involved in in getting relocated. Another part of the uh, things that we would do is is helping with the seed and the and the fertilizers for crop building. One of the problems is the Fulani um, Muslims are the cattle herdsmen, and they don't like the Christians, and they feel they're the only ones that are allowed to have cattle, so the Christians become farmers. But then as the Christian villages would grow and people would become Christian, because once you become Christian, you can't stay in the Fulani village, so villages are identified by whether they're Christian or Fulani. And obviously that doesn't mean everybody in a Christian village is Christian, they're just not Muslim. Um, And they would want the fields for their cattle, so they would attack a, t- a city, a village, whenever destroy that they either wanted their land or they were getting too big, and uh, and just completely destroy the crop. Well, they had everything invested in their crops, and they have nothing. You know, they have no yield from the crops when it gets destroyed. So no way to start over or get things going. So that's why we would help them with uh, maize or other items. And this gentleman on the left was just so happy. Um, showing off his maize field that was starting to come up. Um, we gave them a lot of education on how to space their crops and things like that to make sure they got sunlight so they'd get a better yield, and uh, it was great. But you couldn't just drive up the farm lane to get to the farm. Uh, you could only go so far, then you kind of had to hike back through these areas. There you can see uh, Tom helping Heidi up the muddy path as we were working our way out there. So it was interesting to even get out there to see some of these things in the north. And then also up in the north, which was an area really devastated by Boko Haram, uh, Michika was a town or village that Boko Haram came in and just completely wiped out, and then they, they lived there. 
Boko Haram lived there for like six months in these people's homes. And as they lived there, they continued to just destroy buildings that they didn't live in or, or need um, until finally the uh, military was able to come and drive them out. Um, there was a Bible college there, which I thought was interesting. And you can see on the, on the left the, the devastation. They completely destroyed the Bible college and every building there. That was the library um, on the left. And they burned every single book in the library uh, that was there except for one set of books that they took and they put in an office and preserved because they were in Arabic. Now it's believed that the reason they preserved them is because they couldn't read Arabic and they were concerned that it might be something to do with uh, the Quran or, or something like that. In truth, it was the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John was preserved through this. And it's just a reminder that God's Word is going to prevail. And as much as they try to stamp out God, they can't. And, uh, and our God is much greater than any other thing that's going on. Then they have this makeshift church. Uh, first thing that they rebuilt was a place to be able to meet. And I thought that was another great testimony of their faith. Before they did anything else, they prepared a place to meet. Um, this is a church in Michika. It's the only church that survived the attack. The reason it survived the attack is, as you can see, the inside is all concrete pews. But they actually had electric power run to this. It was bare copper wires running in. But they understood, the, the Boko Haram understood, that there's money in this copper. And they wanted to rip their active copper wire out before they destroyed it so that they could get money for it. And they, with their other activities, just didn't get around to it before they got driven out. So this church prevailed. Because of all the devastation, obviously there's a lot of trauma that goes with that, with people dealing with being displaced, going, trying to even go back to their homes and back to that area. There's a lot of uh, issues that go along with that. And SIM is involved in training what's called trauma healers, people to go in and, and try to counsel for the different traumas. In the north, we, when we were there, we got to meet with the trauma team, uh, these bunch of crazy young adults. And these hearing their stories and listening to them, the, the, this group alone had counseled over 10,000 people in the north. And it's just a, a great thing to see their enthusiasm for it, their desire to keep going, and the help that's being provided for all this. <clears throat> there were many other projects, um, just to give you an idea of some of the various things. I mentioned Miango and the problems around Miango. Uh, on the top left, the villages came to the Miango manager and said, we need your help. We want you to give us guns. So the Miango manager comes to the deputy director, which happened to be me at the time, and says, uh, we got a request for guns. I'm like, for what? We can't give guns. It happened out to do that. So we talked about that a while. And what we ended up doing, though, because of the attacks that happened out there, we put a what's called a repeater station up, a big tower, and then we were able to give them radios, kind of walkie-talkies, if you will, that would work off this repeater system that they could communicate for miles. So all these different villages could communicate. So if there was an attack happening, they were able to respond quicker to it or make sure people knew to get out. Uh, so we were able to help them with communication. We took care of the, the costs involved for all that. And this was the a formal, which everything has to be big when you're doing something, uh, handing off of the radios to them. Um, the bottom right is a 
Falani village. I mentioned the Falani herdsmen who were the ones doing a lot of the attacking, especially around Joss. Boko Haram isn't real, really active in that area. Boko Haram is in the northeast, uh, pretty much driven out of, of the Joss area. But the Falani are very active there. But if a Falani gets saved, he has a problem. He can't live in this village anymore, or he will be killed. And if he goes to the Christian village, they usually will not trust him because he was Fulani, and what's he here to just find out who really are the Christians, what we're doing, setting up an attack. So they started this Fulani village, and they live in these little huts, and it's a Bible training center as well. There's a Bible school being built, taken up, and these Fulani who become saved will be able to receive biblical training so that they can understand the truth of the salvation that they have received and how it works, and then they'll released to go into safe areas where they could reach out to other Fulani because they have a unique opportunity that others wouldn't have to share the gospel in that way. So that was a neat ministry to be part of. The tree at the top, that's a, that's a mango fruit tree. And uh, there, during the dedication ceremony, they uh, called me up out of the audience and asked me if I would plant this tree. Uh, so I got lots of little wild, neat stories like that that happened. But we planted this tree, and it represents the life of this place that's, that will grow and eventually bear fruit. And I thought that was a neat, uh, neat thing to get to do. We went to Kano, which is in the north, the far north. Um, Anne and Trent was supposed to be able to go on a trip to Kano with me, but that is when I got sick with malaria. Um, and we couldn't go, so this ended up happening after she had come home, so she wasn't uh, able to go with me, but uh, on the top of Dalla Hill, it overlooks the city, 365 degrees, every direction that you look, all you can see is all these houses uh, uh, that people lived in. There are millions of people, 98% Muslim. They don't know their right hand from their left. And it's amazing to even feel the oppression. Uh, very much anti-Christian there. Although it's legal to be a Christian, it's not acceptable. It's not uh, tolerated very well. Um, they'll charge twice as much for a taxi or a KK ride than they will uh, if you're not a Christian. And just that kind of stuff. The Christian area, they don't fix the roads. Uh, but the other areas have pretty decent roads. And that, that's just the kind of stuff that would go on. All the boys at the top, um, they're all boys because school had let out, and it was about a two-hour break from when school lets out before the Muslim training begins. And the Muslim training is just for boys. Girls don't get to receive it. So they were kind of waiting for that, and they were all up there, so they were excited to see a bunch of Batori, which is white person, um, there. So they were excited for seeing us there. One fun thing we got to do is while we were in Kano is go around to the dye pits. Uh, amazing thing in Kano, they, they have this indigo blue that they're known for because of the roots and the trees and the way that the dye is. And it's kind of a tie-dye process in the way that they would tie the fabric together to make their different designs. And then they would hand dip it into the dye and they have to keep pulling it up for the air to get to it and then put it back down all by hand, hours. It's like more than eight-hour process for one sheet um, to do, and you can see they have a bunch of dye pits there. So that was an interesting thing to see. And also, we got around to some hospitals. Um, you know, AIDS and other things are really still prevalent there. There is an amazing Encano, amazing eye hospital um, that has top quality care. And the way that they do it, it's the Christian uh, clinic. When you come, there's this long 
hallway with benches. That's kind of the queue, and they just work their way down the bench as they work their way in. But while they're on the benches, there's somebody that shares the gospel with each person uh, as they're waiting and making sure that they know. Kano, 98% Muslim. But the Muslims still come to this place because of the great care that they get with the eyes. And they want that good care, so they're willing to hear the gospel to get that care. And it's just another method of being able to plant some seeds and see what God will do with them. On the bottom right is the outdoor church. Uh, It's an outdoor church because about eight years ago, their church was completely devastated and burned down. And the government will not allow them to rebuild. Uh, they say, it, although it's legal for them to rebuild, they say, well, it would just be a target for attack or they'll come up with other reasons and they keep denying them the right to rebuild. But what's amazing about this, it's, it's huge, lots of people there. And for the entire eight years that they've been meeting, it has not rained one Sunday morning while they've been meeting, rainy season or not. During the hours that they meet, it has never rained for those eight years. Um, and, and we got to attend that service. It rained the entire day before. The roads got washed out that night. But at 8 o'clock in the morning, it stopped and the sun came out till about 1 o'clock in the afternoon when it started raining again. I was like, wow, that was amazing. Uh, but we went on a medical outreach into a remote village. And because it was the rainy season and the rains came in, we couldn't get very close with the vehicle and had to park it and start hiking across the washed out roads through the mud um, and uh, the girls were great troopers working our way back there. And uh, when we got there, then we set up these tables. On the bottom right, you can see Heidi. Uh, Heidi's a nurse. And at this point, for about one month, Danielle, their daughter, was able to come over and be with us as well. So it was neat to have Danielle there and her roommate. And they're both nurses. And then uh, we had four of our young ladies of the STAs. Two of them were studying to be nurses, and two of them were studying to be doctors. So we had a great medical team that God had provided at this point to do basic care, things like checking blood pressures and temperatures, and then being able to give aspirins and Tylenol. Uh, that was a huge deal. Being able to clean wounds and put a little neosporin on something and, and bandage it um, were, were great things for them because they just had nothing. Uh, I don't do anything medical. So what I did with some of the other STAs is we played with the kids. We had them gathered off the side and uh, we sang songs, Bible songs, had Bible lessons and just entertained and, and played with them while they were going through this process and this outreach. Also, um, I got great opportunities to do a lot of preaching when I was there. The Church on the Rock is a church that we got connected with when we were there before in January, and I got to preach there. And I've preached there twice this, this time, maybe three, twice this time. And they have an English service and a Hausa service. Again, Hausa is a, the, the native language for the tribes that in, that, in that area. So when I spoke in the house of services, I needed an interpreter. And the Nigerian man in black is my interpreter. That's Dan Juma. He's also a driver for SIM. So he was primarily the guy that would take me around when I needed to leave the office. I could drive from the house downtown to the office. But when we were going out to these places, we needed a driver because of all the checkpoints and all the issues and connections. So he was a, he was a great guy to be connected with and some of the STAs, when any time I would preach somewhere, they would all come. So it was like this entourage coming together, all these white people coming in somebody's church. So they were always excited to see us. And, uh, and Dan Juma even got to preach a few 
few times at places on his own, and I would go with him when he would preach. It was in Hausa mostly, so I never knew what he was saying, but it, it, it looked good. It looked like the people were happy with what he was doing. Uh, that's another church that I got to preach in. The church, that was a big church being built. Um, the churches are really sketch on how they're put together and the poles and the, and the lighting and the gen. But the people are just amazing. Uh, their love for God, their, their passion to do uh, what God would have them do no matter what the circumstances. It was just a joy to get to meet and be with these different people. Um, yeah, Ann. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we use this phrase, there's kind of a crazy beauty to the Nigerian life. Um, as you can see, um, go ahead and click. The, the people are an amazing group of people. They're very creative. I have a lot of um, things out there on our table, too, again, that just demonstrate the beauty of the skills that God has gifted them with. Um, so even though there is a lot of poverty and de- devastation, you know, nothing outweighs the kindness and the caring that these people exhibit. And so the greatest thing that we miss as we've gone away from Nigeria is the people. Um, they have so often treated us and others better than themselves. Um, they have given to us even though they have nothing. And so it has been a, an awesome example and privilege to go and be able to minister amongst these people. Well, as we had to leave, we don't like to say goodbye, so we say Andrema. Say Andrema means see you later. So it has the idea of returning, and we'll see what God does uh, in the future if we ever get to return according to his provision, but that's the phrases we would like to use instead of saying goodbye. So we wanted to leave you with that. Hopefully this gives you uh, a little bit of a glimpse of what we were involved in and the different ministries going on. and. Uh, Tom and Heidi certainly wanted us to extend their greetings to you as well and their thankfulness for allowing Anne and I and Trent to go and be with them for so long. Um, But in our remaining time this morning, I wanted to share, we have five lessons that we learned and we just kind of wanted to share those lessons for you. The first lesson is about the power of prayer. In Colossians 4, 2 to 4, it says, devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It was such a powerful lesson to us that when you're out of your comfort zone and you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of resources, how important prayer becomes to you. And it really ought to be that same importance while we're here. We realized how often we fail to depend on God. We fail to seek him or even thank him for the things that we have. And so we excellent reminder that um, not only there do we need God, we need him here. And we are dependent on him. It pointed out a lot to us, our own self-reliance and our um, fact that we feel we're so independent because we have so many resources and things here. Um, But it was really neat to know that God invited us into his work there and we needed to stay connected to him to be able to know what he was doing to for him even to provide everything that we needed. Um, And the last thing about prayer that God really uh, spoke to me and made evident to me was prayer is a two way communication. 
So often we pour out our requests and then we just go on about our day and we just you know, think, okay, great, I lifted it up to God. But it was an excellent reminder that I'm praying for him to respond to me, right? And so sometimes after I pray, I need to sit quietly and I need to wait and let his Holy Spirit bring to me the answer that I've just asked for. And so the reminder that it's a two-way communication was another um, big lesson that I learned while we were there. In Luke chapter 18, 1, it says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Sim, as I am, had a motto, and it's called, and it's a by prayer. Everything is by prayer. And you learn quickly in Africa that you could not depend on yourself. You had to depend on God. For many, uh, and the lesson in this verse was not to lose heart. Uh, there were many needs, but there was also many things encouraging to see how God was at work, even in the midst of all those problems. Remember the Fulani um, camp that I showed you? Fulani Muslims and, and the Boko Haram Muslims, they were active in attacking and killing Christians. But God said that we are to pray for our enemies. And I want to tell you that there's a movement happening in Nigeria where there are Muslims who are upset and do not like the violence and the killings that they see in the Muslim religion, and they're converting to Christianity because of the violence. So another thing that we can praise God for. I was also blessed uh, to meet with my Nigerian staff. Every morning at 8 a.m. we would meet before work and have devotions and a time of prayer to start our day. And SIM themselves, as a, as a mission, once a month they shut down the office and we all go to a resort center, a meeting center, and all the missionaries who are available in the country will come and we have a three-hour time of prayer. Um, once a month. So it was really neat to see it played out. Uh, not just said by prayer, it was by prayer. So God has given me a deeper love for prayer and a dependence Joy. on Him. Uh, the second lesson we learned was about having joy in every day. And really, it's not about our circumstances. The verses in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I feel like we lived that out. Um, it says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we found out that regardless of our circumstances, and I will tell you, it was a third world country, so there were some things that were uncomfortable. There was even times when we did literally feel hungry. I know in America that's a hard uh, thing to recognize, but there were those times. But yet, it's interesting that even in light of all the daily hardships, they did not, our joy for ministry and the satisfaction that we got in doing God's work and being with different people really uh, usurped all of those discomforts and uh, hardships. And so when we look back, we look back so fondly with so much joy um, in this experience. And it also made me mindful that, um, you know, this verse where it says whether I'm in want or I have plenty, you know, as I come back to the United States or whether I'm, I'm there in a country that's a little more difficult to know that I'm in, um, you know, that God just supplies all my needs and that I can be content with all that I have um, and all of his blessings. The verse today in read in Philippians can be transforming if we really learn 
to be content in all circumstances. We can't do everything. We can't solve all the problems. Uh, There were great devastations and great needs in Africa. But I truly, as Ann said, I only have joy as I remember my time there. Yeah, I had malaria, I had salmonella, probably the sickest I've ever been in my life. But it's insignificant compared to the people, the relationships that we were able to build and the resolve and the strength of their faith that we got to experience. The second part of Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your circumstances don't matter. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that takes us to our third lesson, God's peace. Very often I would go to bed at night and I would say Psalm 23 over in my head. And even just the first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That means I will lack nothing. Nothing I need for that moment, for the next day, He whatever. He provides all that I need. Um, and we saw over and over that he provided for our physical needs, our spiritual needs, love, support, encouragement. He even gave us all that we needed to accomplish the, the tasks that he had given us to do. Um, we saw how he provided safety and guidance when we were unsure what to do. Um, we just were reminded over and over the peace that comes from knowing that if we're faithful, the results are up to him and we just need to do our part trusting him. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember that picture of the Flani camp again that they were building. It was started because of a Nigerian missionary who was kidnapped by the Boko Haram. And they beat him and they tortured him and told him to renounce his faith so he could live. And he would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So they called in the butcher. And he was given that name from Boko Haram because of his great way of torturing people to the brink of death, but not quite killing them. And so he started his task on this gentleman to get him to renounce God and live. And he would finally say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And finally he said, then die. And he killed him. Two years later, the butcher got saved. Amazing story. don't have time to, to do it. But God is at work. And now the butcher is saved. And guess what? How is he to be treated? He cannot go to a Christian village. His reputation was well known. So that's where the idea came from to let's do this Fulani village where people can come like me. And because he was saved and he had a great following of people because he was well known and he was beaten and tortured for a while and they they left him alone to say, think about it so that you can repent because they didn't want to kill him and he wouldn't. And now many of his guys that followed him are saved as well. And there's this growing thing and he's on fire for God wanting to reach the Fulani people. So that's part of the things that we don't understand is all that God is doing. And God is the one at work. And his peace surpasses all understanding. And he says that he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
So that was a great lesson for me that I also tried to, to work with over there, that we have to release things to God. When you are treated wrongly, when there is injustice done, it's not up to us to make things right and to exact revenge or to correct it. We've got to leave it to God and pray for our enemies. That is easy to say, but very hard to do. And that's what we all need to do. So the next lesson was in distractions. Um, lessening the distractions around us. I, um, Philippians 2.13 was brought to mind. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, there was a beauty to living a very simplified life. Um, think about it. We didn't have a lot of stuff around us. We really did basically have those furnishings and living conditions. We didn't have our stuff. Um, we didn't have TV. We didn't have electricity most of the time. So you went to bed very early when it got dark. And so, but there was a beauty to that simplicity. And really, it enabled us to find satisfaction in our work and really to enjoy other people because we were not being so distracted by all the things around us. Um, It was also a good reminder from this verse that God works in us to will. That means to want to and then to act on the things that he calls us to. And sometimes when our lives are so busy and so distracted, we can't even hear God um, as he's trying to get our attention and move us in a certain direction. And so it was really neat to find the joy in the simplicity of uncluttering our minds, our lives, way, distractions. And um, it really gave an opportunity to breathe. It was also a wonderful way to see that um, God, again, just providing for us over and over uh, when we're not distracted with all the things that I'm trying to get and prepare and do and all the rest. So... One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I need to maintain the discipline of not allowing things to get in the way of me abounding in the work of the Lord. Then there was a lesson of living in community. Philippians 2.1 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. There is such a value in living in community. Um, I've never lived in a scenario like living on a compound like that, where so many people are around all the time. And it was interesting that it did not matter what, again, nationality anybody was, maybe even what religious organization had said that our prayer, we were all working for one purpose. And it was really neat to see that unifying factor that our purpose was Jesus Christ. And uh, doing his work, spreading the gospel, showing his love to others, Um, Having that community of people around us provided a lot of joy and support and encouragement to us. It also was very evident to me that I need to be careful, more careful how I treat people around me. 
Um, we need people more than we realize we do. And we think, well, we've got a lot of extra people around us, you know. And so the, the way I treat this person might not matter so much. But it was interesting in a, in a scenario there, like in Nigeria, um, where everything is, is a, more difficult and maybe you don't have the right resources, um, you saw all the more your dependence on other people. And so you learned very quickly how to cherish and take care of and be kind and treat people nicely, um, not just because, you know, I mean, that certainly is what God wants us to do, but we also might need them down the road. You know, that same person that just came to my door for something um, may be the same one that's going to come help me flip all those switches and turn on a generator or whatever. It, it just reminds us that we do need people. Here again, we get so independent and we think we can treat each other poorly and um, and we've got plenty more relationships. Well, the Nigerian people treated he taught us that relationships were far more important than any agendas, any of our stuff. Um, and again, back to our stuff, I realized that as I came back to the United States, I need to hold my stuff loosely. Um, as Everett said, the mission, uh, missionaries that lived in the home that we got to, to use let us use their van, let us use a lot of their kitchen stuff. And um, it was just a good reminder to me, does my stuff really belong to me? Um, and it doesn't. It belongs to God. And so to hold it loosely and let others um, be benefited from it as well. 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. The Lord blessed us with a great team in Nigeria, unified, working together, not for personal gain, but for the glory of God. And our church, FBC, was a great testimony to the people in Nigeria, uh, unified there, and they saw the willingness of a church in the United States to send one of their pastors or somebody for six months like that and pay for them and take care of them was a testimony to them of the one body. Um, the Lord has blessed us with a good team here at FBC as well, uh, unified and working together. And may we all continue to work city glory of God. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your concern of world missions. So thank you. We do have a table in the foyer. We're going to have some of this stuff at. If you're interested in seeing anything, please stop by. We also wanted to let you know that next Sunday at the 930 hour, we're going to have a Sunday school class where we'll be able to answer questions and, and go more in depth with anything. If you would like to attend that Sunday school class at the 930 hour next Sunday, um, you'd be welcome to do so. So we thank you again for your support and prayers, and it has been a wonderful opportunity to represent Fellowship Bible Church uh, and work alongside of Tom and Heidi. And they are extremely hard-working missionaries that I can say I'm very proud uh, that we're associated with after spending six months with them. So let's have a word of prayer to close. Father, thank you for the opportunities that you've given us and that you the work that you prepare in advance for each of us. And you've designed each of us perfectly and for purpose. And may we seek your guidance in our lives to do the work that you've laid out for us to do and give you all the glory and the thanks for it. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.